This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Louisiana Agriculture Commissioner and President of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, Mike Strain. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NASDA President Mike Strain next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. You can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Louisiana Agriculture Commissioner Mike Strain is president of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. With a career spent in livestock and animal health, Strain embraces the challenges of modern-day agriculture and the opportunities that lie ahead for U.S. farmers and ranchers. Strain spent last week dodging a hurricane in Cuba and forging a better trade relationship between the two countries. He says Cuba is a market to be gained or lost. The advantage is a $2 billion market right at our borders. And as you know, the more that we sell, that will help commodity prices in all sectors across the United States. So it's clearly a $2 billion a year potential. And also the fact that Cuba is opening up its, its hotels and its beaches and all for tourists, that is going to increase that potentially to at least $2.5 billion. If we do not then other nations are going to trade and sell that food and command a market uh, to 11 million people and a growing tourist market, and that will not be uh, that revenue will not come to the United States. It will go to other countries. Simply put, uh, we will not be in the game, and we will not sell our products in those markets. You know a thing or two about big wins. Hurricane Matthew, we're still dealing with the aftermath of that. So, but let's let's back up from even hurricanes. You had challenging spring weather in Louisiana. You had challenging spring weather across many of your neighboring states. How did it affect you then, and how is it affecting you now? We had a number of major storm events. Uh, Late last year, we had flooding along the Red River, and then we had two uh, 1,000-year storm events within five months. So we had flooding uh, across uh, almost all of Louisiana was included in one of the two disasters, over 50 parishes. And when you take and add the first storm and the losses, uh, you had about $20, $35 million uh, in the fall. Then we had about $80 million uh, in the first 1,000-year flood, and then over $220 million in in what we call the Great Flood now of 2016. So altogether, you know, we are getting close to $400 million in losses. There's been a tremendous loss to our farmers, and when you look at, Many of the issues that's here, we were, again, right during harvest. So in addition to everything that we can try to deal with in the Farm Bill, and again, there are limited provisions, and that's a big key, limited provisions for disaster assistance. Uh, we had uh, approximately 80% of the homes, and, and, the, and we will have more than 60,000 homes, more than 
did not have flood insurance. They were not in a flood area. Many areas received 24 to 28 inches of rain in 24 hours, something we've never seen. Many of the rivers crested six-plus feet over the record. Some rivers we don't know because all the rain gauges were washed away. It was a, just, an, a, just a tremendous flood. Some parishes, the uh, Livingston Parish, for instance, 70% of the entire parish, the entire parish flooded. Town of Denham Springs, 80% of the entire town. And where we find ourselves now is that it will dramatically affect the economy, same way in agriculture. In these areas where there are tremendous losses, and of course agriculture is the predominant industry and business in the parish, uh, we have to get some dollars there so that we can have the necessary money uh, to cash flow back to the bank so that we can replant, because if not, then you have a long-term economic downturn, and often you have, you know, the citizens will simply leave, and we're very concerned what's going to happen in the parishes, especially those that 50 to 70% of it flooded. There's not money to rebuild the homes because they weren't insured, and now, you know, what do we do because they have to continue to pay in those mortgages? Uh, it, it, it is a definitive challenge. We were asking for $2.8 billion. Uh, we were a part of the $500 million for disasters that was in uh, the last bill to keep the government running. That was in, in the last CR, but that is shared by 16 different projects. Now we believe that we're going to get at least 300 plus million of that, and so we are going to be actively now working uh, as we move into the omnibus bill. Now with that being said, with this uh, super hurricane, uh, you know Matthew, I do believe there will be other states now that will be with us as we go to get additional dollars for recovery. And so this is a you know very bad storm that is leaving a great deal of damage, and I think that you know it's cognizant that we all now must be aware that we are in a time of increased storms. If you go back to look at Hurricane Katrina, and then you have Rita, uh, then you have Gustav, Ike, Tropical Storm Fay, Hurricane Isaac, Hurricane Matthew, all these major storms in a very short period of time. The super flood as 2016. I think we all have to be prepared for climate volatility, and I think that's why when we have to look at the Farm Bill, that the disaster provisions need to be funded and strengthened, uh, because, you know, each time when there's a disaster, we have to go to Congress and work to get, you know, money that is carved out uh, for a specific purpose to help recovery in a defined area. Mike, there would be those who would say, well, you have a Farm Bill with a safety net, you have a Farm Bill with crop insurance that should eliminate the need for disaster assistance. You're making a case for it's beyond the crop. It's down to the foundation of a community or a state. That's right. And when you look at the Farm Bill, uh, the discussion was that they would put, you know, the majority of the safety net provisions would be included in the crop insurance. Well, first of all, you have to have a crop that can get insurance. Uh, for instance, in Louisiana, the crawfish crop, there's no insurance for that. And so that's $150 million a year crop and we don't know what the effects of the flooding are going to be on the crawfish crop because we won't begin harvesting in earnest until the until you know the, the late uh, probably January early February to get some exact numbers but also the other provisions if you look at the livestock indemnity program for instance 20 million dollars for the entire United States for an entire year and if you look at the monies that were funded in the emergency conservation program uh, and if you look at an ELAP and all these other programs, they're very, very limited. So we passed the farm bill with safety net provisions, but we didn't adequately fund them for a major disaster, and a major disaster that affects multiple states or large areas within a state. And if you look at crop insurance and say, and 
like a, one of our rice farmers that's at 60%. Well, if he had 2,000 acres and he'd already harvested 60%, you know, he still had 800 acres to go, and he had a total loss, a total loss on that other 800 acres, then his payment is zero. And so when you look at now where the margins are and you look at where commodity prices are, and when you have a major disaster right at harvest time, uh, and then, when, you know, crop insurance, you wouldn't insure your home the way you insure your crops. You would never have 60% coverage on your homes, but you also have to look at the cost-benefit ratio, you know, for crop insurance. And so when you're trying to look at, say, can I make a profit or can I at least cover my variable costs and some of my fixed costs, so then I can afford crop insurance at what at this or that level. And so, you know, there are many crops that are not insured. And then when you go in and say some of our fruit and vegetable farmers, they not only they lost their crops, they lost their topsoil you know, with the flooding. And then, of course, their shops and their homes. And so when you look at that, uh, we need to revisit the safety net program, and it needs to be adequately funded. And we need to have in mind that we may be facing severe weather in the future. And so when you look at, at that, Say why we have to you have a crop insurance program, why we have to have a farm safety net, why we have to have a farm bill. It is very, very fundamental and basic. It is about food security. It is about the security of commerce, but it's also about national security and the strength of this country. Well, Mike is president of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. You stand in front of a group that represents a diverse United States business. Are there common themes that you can work for and work with uh, NASDA as we start talking about a new farm bill? Are there some things that are priorities for you? Yes, we have a priority list. And on top of our priorities, one, uh, we will talk about uh, cooperative federalism and enhanced partnerships. What that means is that the states and the federal government and the agencies are co-equal partners. Uh, if you look at such things as the Clean Water Act, if you look at many of the regulations that are, are in Washington, uh, in the states, we in the Departments of Agriculture are often the entities that, that enforce and also uh, basically carry out the missions of those bills. Well, we have to have, we want it, and we have to have it, where we have a cooperative relationship and that we have a co-equal relationship with these responsibilities for implementing these programs combined with our state programs. And so when you start looking at everything from worker protection standards to organic livestock standards uh, to waters of the U.S., cooperative federalism in the farm bill, we'll be working very, very hard, and we all agree that we need a stronger safety net. And we will be very active uh, as, as members in NASDAQ and drafting the farm bill. International trade, uh, when you're talking about Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, the FDA has placed in the states recently a $22 million investment in the state-level implementation of the produce safety rule. So we will be implementing the produce safety rule uh, under Food Safety Modernization Act. Uh, issues such as the proper uses of pesticides, uh, herbicides, and all those different inputs, those are things that we can strongly agree upon as we work uh, for a stronger America and a stronger agriculture. Also, increased investments in science and technology and research, and the implementation of that extension, that is huge. When you talk about the power of, of research, it must be also through extension to getting that into the hands of the farmer where it needs to be. When you talk about dairy policy, you've already got differences among some states, but clearly there are calls that the, the dairy policy of the 2014 Farm Bill was not successful. 
are there common themes that your group can offer for answers for a dairy solution? Well, we are working with that. As a matter of fact, uh, I've, Walt Wickham uh, is one of our members from the Northeast Coast, from Maine, and I've asked him to lead uh, a study group to come up with solutions. And we're going to be reaching out to all of our uh, dairy member states and putting together a team, and I'm asking for ideas, telling them to think outside the box, because it's, it's, it's quite obvious the things of the past are not working. Uh, our small dairy states, we're losing our dairies at a precipitous nature. Canada is losing their dairies at a precipitous nature. We have to find solutions. And so before we go to Congress with a solution, we want to make sure it's something that we believe is a viable solution. Uh, we've run out of time for Band-Aids. Uh, we know that the, the dairy margin protection program uh, has not worked as it was conceived. Uh, it simply isn't enough. and We have to find solutions and answers. What about the role of specialty crops and organics? Uh, the specialty crop program, the organic program, they're wonderful. And when you start talking about small-scale agriculture in particular, when you talk about some of the specialty crops and the organics, that is a way for small and medium farmers to, to get in the game uh, with, a, with a product and also and be profitable about it. And I think part of the future of agriculture, we must address every type of, of not only niche area, but also every opportunity to provide food. Because as you and I know, uh, the, the, the goal of doubling food production by 2050, it's going to take everybody thinking not only within the box, but also outside the box. And we're going to have to really push hard for heightened production. And the goal in the United States, our goal is not to double production, but actually to triple agricultural production, to triple it by 2050. And that's going to take a lot because we're going to have to move at a pace faster than we're moving now, faster than we've moved in the last 10 years in order to meet that goal. Talking about your background, as a doctor of veterinary medicine, you're more than aware of animal health, and we have some livestock groups that are calling for greater preparedness for animal disease, perhaps even foot and mouth disease and others. Is that a place that NASDA can come together as well in calling for new policy? It is. You know, preventative medicine and prevention of animal diseases is huge. Uh, one of the things that I do as Commissioner of Agriculture, I'm responsible to monitor you know, our animals as well as our plants for disease and then act if we get a foreign animal disease. And, of course, you know, we're, we're hopeful that there will be further uh, work in the area of vaccination, especially for foot and mouth disease. But when you talk about foreign animal diseases and those that are on our borders, we must be ever vigilant because those diseases can have a devastating effect on agriculture. Commissioner, talking about your goal toward a shared partnership on regulatory policy, some would feel that the Waters of the U.S. rule and the Food Safety Modernization Act implementation is that the, the right of state or the role of state is being diminished by the federal. And that's exactly why we are all working, again, towards cooperative federalism. One of the, you know, when you talk about uh, the, the Waters of the U.S. WOTUS and why the majority of us and why I in particular have been against uh, the new WOTUS rule, and then the interpretive rule to interpret the WOTUS rule, because again the authority is being removed from the states. And if you read the Clean Water Act, the predominant authority for the enforcement of Clean Water Act lies within the states. Period. That has also been upheld in the court, in the federal court here in New Orleans. And the fact that you have to have that shared responsibility, but again within the boundaries of the state. It is, it is the responsibility of the state to enforce those regulatory standards 
especially dealing with the environment and the health and safety of its citizens. And the, the function of the federal government is to act in a coordinating effect within the states and those things that affect multiple states. And so we understand our role. We understand our responsibility. And we want to work with our federal partners. We don't want to be in conflict with our federal partners on these issues. Uh, but, but again, it has to be a, a mutual partnership. Uh, not, not just in enforcement and not just in implementation, but in design and working to develop these programs, an absolute partnership between the states and the federal government on these rules. I would ask with regard to regulatory review of pesticides, uh, President of the uh, Corn Growers Association, Wesley Spurlock, said that if we're having this much difficulty reauthorizing atrazine, can't imagine the trouble that we'll have with other products. Well, in 43 states, the State Departments of Agriculture are co-regulators with EPA and administer, implement, and enforce you know, the production, labeling, distribution, sale, and disposal of pesticides under FIFRA. And so we support scientifically sound development, review, registration, and re-registration. We need, again, again, to be a partner. We need to make sure that this is done uh, using the best possible science. We must also be very cognizant that the only way that we are going to increase productivity to feed America and the world is the proper scientific and safe use of all inputs and pesticides and, and other products, and specifically when you look at products such as atrazine, when you talk about initial registration and re-registration, uh, we need to use sound science. You know, we cannot have any type of, quote, activism uh, going on. Uh, we need to make sure that we work together. We use common sense, and we do things in a timely fashion. One of the things that I've seen across the world is the fact that in many areas why they cannot feed themselves, they do not have these inputs. They do not have the chemicals that they need to effectively deal with crop, plant, pests, and diseases. Uh, they don't have proper herbicides, pesticides, proper fertilizers. And it markedly reduces their production. You know, our great race is how do we stay ahead of the bugs? From a scientist's point of view, we're always trying to say how do we stay ahead of the next generation or the growing changes in the insects and also in the different diseases. That's by science, technology, and implementation. And so when you look at this, you know, we, had to, we need to make sure that it's done soundly and it's done for the better health of America, but it's done in a timely, scientific manner. And those two parts have to be part together. And I think one of the things when you talk about cooperative federalism, uh, I think that's a big part of that. You have Mrs. Clinton and you have Mr. Trump, and neither are speaking favorably with regard to the Trans-Pacific Partnership or, for that matter, global trade. How important for this Congress to address TPP in the lame duck session? The TPP is 40% of the world's gross domestic product. And if you look at American agriculture, the foundational industry of America. We've had a positive balance of trade for over 50 years. We have growing markets abroad. We have the ability to increase productivity and sell abroad. We must sell abroad. If we do not participate in foreign trade, that's one-third of our production. Without that, the value of our crops will drop precipitously, which will cause great economic harm to our farms and to the United States. And so when you look at this, I, I think, you know, once the election is over, uh, I think you will see a softening on some of these issues. 
And one of the things I've heard from the campaigns is that we want other areas in those trades partnerships to be as viable as the agricultural section. Uh, you know, I think that we move forward with the TPP and we continue to negotiate. You know, the TPP isn't the end. It's just the beginning as we grow. And now we're probably going to have to be, you know, having a separate set of negotiations with the British Empire because of Brexit. These trade treaties are critical. And I know we've heard some negative things from both campaigns, but I'm very optimistic uh, that when the, when the election's over, we can get there and get down to those finite things where there are problems and work to resolve those. But we must be in the game. If you look at the TPP and the transatlantic deal as well, you put those two together, that's 60% of the world's gross domestic product in those two trade treaties alone. So we have to be very, very aggressive in our trade negotiations, but we have to be in the game. Commissioner Strain, we want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. Sir, it is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Thank you. Well, as, as the president of NASDA, I think we have a, a great opportunity working together. And, uh, and I represent, you know, the directors, commissioners, and chairpersons of agriculture and our secretaries uh, from across the United States and, of course, our territories. Working together, I think we're going to expand and amplify agriculture's voice. We're very excited. We are going to have a new administration. We're going to have a new Congress. We're going to have a new farm bill. We have a great deal of trade negotiations. We look forward to leaning forward to take that along with the new science and new discoveries as we amplify agriculture coming into the future. We're looking forward to a very exciting new year. I've just spent, of course, a week abroad in Cuba looking at their agriculture and working to expand markets there. Our next uh, trip this month is going to be to the Tri-National Trade Accords, and that is going to be in Canada as we work uh, again to expand trade between Canada United States and Mexico. And I look forward to this year. There are many great opportunities. The opportunities for agriculture, forestry, aquaculture, and our rural development have never been better. We have a growing need to expand our product. There's a growing need for our products abroad. And we're in a perfect situation to fill those needs and do it profitably because agriculture is infinitely renewable, infinitely sustainable if we do it in an environmentally sound way, and I look forward to that. I also want to thank you for again for allowing me to be here today to speak to you about what is, of course, the most the dearest thing to my heart, and that is food production to feed the world. Our thanks to Louisiana Agriculture Commissioner and President of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, Mike Strain, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugarreliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.